Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Now, but first, of course, everybody wants to get the updates every single day. And we've also, we've all become a little bit, I suppose, addicted uh, to this in some sense because we all want information. I suppose the information we really want is when is it all going to end? And health officials confirmed that an additional 39 deaths from COVID-19 in Ireland last night. The total number of confirmed cases now stands at 15,251 and 610 people have died in total. To give you a bit of an update and to help us maybe get through this and figure out what's happening next is Dr Killian Degas. Gaskin, who's the chair of the National Public Health Emergency Team Advisory Group. Good afternoon to you, Killian. Uh, good afternoon, now. Um, you know, it's a, every day it's kind of very grim for people hearing all the news, sadly, of the deaths as well, and condolences to all the people who lose loved ones. Um, is there any light at the end of the tunnel, Killian? Are we seeing, is the, the peak really being flattened, as Tony Hoolan suggests, and are we not going to see a bigger peak than this? Uh, so, it's a really important question, and I think it, as you said, it's very difficult to, to strike the right balance when we have seen so many um, deaths uh, over recent weeks. Um, and I think it's important for us to, to remember that each of those individuals obviously has has family and friends and, and our condolences do go out to those yeah, individuals. Because I, I don't want those people just to be statistics because that's sadly what's happening at the moment, I suppose, in some sense. You know, people are just becoming statistics in this. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's a very difficult time. Obviously, losing, losing a family member at any time is very difficult. But in this situation where, you know, you can't have a, a normal funeral, you can't grieve properly, I think it is a... It's something that we do need to remember that um, there's an awful lot of people suffering, um, notwithstanding what's what's going on elsewhere in the health services. But coming back to your question, the, it's, it's the lower than it's, is, it's lower than our estimate. Uh, the estimates we originally put out two weeks ago, or if we go back three weeks ago with Leo Varadkar, it's a lot lower, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is, and and that's why I think that you know the population has as a whole does need to be, I suppose, um, thanked and uh, and congratulated to an extent for what for what they have achieved. And um, people have bought into the restriction measures they have um, complied and they have um, abided by those and adhered to them really well and so in answer to your question certainly there has been a flattening of the curve and um, people will have heard uh, Professor Philip Nolan speaking last week just around the, the figure that we we talk about as, as or not the reproductive number of, of the virus and the number of people that each infected individual will will infect that has dropped below one which is really where we needed to, to get to um, the problem is that we need to maintain it and, and sustain what we've achieved. But obviously at the moment we're looking towards um, May 5th. I'm sorry, the, the other positive features we have seen is a reduction in the number of people going into hospital, a reduction in the number of people requiring intensive care. So all of those um, are positive aspects. Um, and obviously we're looking at um, May 5th where we want to see what we can possibly do at that stage to, to give people a little bit of relief okay, because so what, let, let's, let's, have been challenging. Let's get to May 5th. I suppose a lot of people have this as a D-Day because we all, as human beings, we all head towards a target. We like to see you know a target somewhere and May 5th has become a bit of a target date. Um, so the suggestion is that maybe there's a possibility of loosening restrictions. Uh, you know, I just mean that you know it's going to be a free-for-all. We're all going to be running out to pubs or anything like that. But is there a possibility, in your professional opinion, that, say, people will get to meet their family members what about, you know, grandparents and grandkids, uh, daughters and, gra- and mothers who might be over the age of 70 or 80 uh, and fathers? Will they eventually get to be able to see each other? Because this is a big problem for people, isn't it, for families? Because isolation in itself can be quite bad for your health. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, so what we're what we'll be looking at over the over the next couple of weeks is the obviously we're still looking at the number of cases and, and the number of deaths, and we want to make sure that we that you know the the signs that we've seen over recent days will be sustained and that there's a there's a genuine flattening of the curve and that can be sustained over the next couple of weeks. We people will be familiar with the fact that the challenges we've had in scaling up testing. So what we need to be able to do. Um, when if if we can lift restrictions is test people in nearer to real time so that we can generate results and contact tracing can start um, in a very short period of time ideally within 24 to 48 hours but assuming all of those measures are in place you're absolutely right we would like to be able to give some level of restriction but or some level of lifting the restrictions and and equal and in essence what we'll do would, would that be in your professional opinion Killian would that be one of those things that may be restricted that you know uh, you know relatives can actually get to see each other again for the first time rather than on zoom or on on FaceTime that you know grannies can see their grandkids or uh, or you know daughters and sons can meet their parents for the first time in, in four weeks is, is that something in your professional opinion that might happen on May the 5th so it's certainly something that uh, that uh, the National Public Health Emergency Team will be keeping under um, review. And the, the question is what we will do. And um, so we may, for example, do different things for the population as a whole. Um, but there may st- we may still need to look after the, those most vulnerable in our in our society. Um, so while we don't necessarily want to extend c- cocooning indefinitely, it is something that we may need to look at because obviously that's the group that has been greatly affected. But equally, when we're now, looking you, at... When, when you say indefinitely, is it a possibility then that cocooning uh, for those who would be the more vulnerable state over the age of 70 or those who maybe have um, uh, some sort of immune deficiency, are you suggesting that they could be in a situation like that until a vaccine becomes available? Because the suggestion this morning as well by one professor is we may not ever have a vaccine. Yeah, no, so certainly we we wouldn't be in, envisaging sort of keeping people under those level that level of restriction until there's a vaccine available because as you said it's likely to be twelve to eighteen months away. But equally we just so what I was trying to suggest was that all measures might not necessarily apply to all uh, sections of the population of the community equally. So mm-hmm. we may we may try and because what we're looking at from uh, the public health emergency team perspective is that we're looking at the different sectors of society. So we're looking, say, at, at the education sector. So for, say, schools, universities, we're looking at commercial activity, which will obviously be sort of retail, people returning to work. We're looking at social activity, sort of social and cultural, where people can sort of get into sort of restaurants or cafes or museums, that type of thing. And then there's the mass gathering element, which would include, I suppose, sporting events. Okay, so we're getting, getting, in each of those getting, sectors, we'll mm-hmm. be looking at, at what we might be able to do okay. in a stepwise controlled manner. But the key element, I suppose, for people to remember is that the physical distancing measures are going to be with us for a long period of time. So we're not, as you how said long, yourself, we're not How long do you think that period of time is? I, I mean, there was one suggestion in the UK paper yesterday, my professor was, uh, those period, that period of time could be 2022 uh, before we start shaking hands with people or hugging strangers or, or you know, having a mass gathering in, say, the Three Arena to see a band or something like that, or, or the Aviva Stadium. Can you envisage something like that till 2022 till we have a vaccine for the general population? I think what will inform that discussion is so obviously if what we're reporting say on, on a daily basis now is the number of laboratory confirmed cases of infection what we don't yet know is the number of people or the proportion of the population that has been infected but maybe hasn't been terribly unwell so they haven't presented for a test or they haven't been included in that laboratory confirmed case number so we'll be doing 
seroprevalence studies, which in essence is looking mm-hmm. for antibodies in the population um, in the coming months to try and give us an idea. As well, wouldn't that wouldn't that be good news? Because I'm only looking this morning. There was a study in California over the weekend of the prevalence of people infected with coronavirus, and they believed that it could be 85 times higher than we actually expected to be, uh, because they tested. I think it was 3,300 volunteers in Santa Clara and extracted this with using the finger prick t- uh, test, which I know is not as accurate as the test we currently do at the moment, but they noticed in that that up to 4.5% of people were infected. In other words, a lot more than we actually believe, which is invariably good news because that reduces the mortality rate, doesn't it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, there, so that study that was reported over the weekend is exactly the type of study that we will want to do in, in Ireland that over the, probably in the next um, in the next month, two months, we obviously need to make sure that we have a, a representative um, sample of the population so that we can extrapolate from that. And then those individuals will be asked to come forward and to, and to give blood. So we'll be able to do a number of uh, sort of I suppose, parallel projects that will give us some indication as to how many people in the population has been have have been infected. But as you said, that may not necessarily have had very severe illness and therefore wouldn't have been captured to date. So you're right. We're seeing a number of uh, studies across um, the world that, that suggest that. Um, Populate, or that proportion might be significantly greater Higher. than the number yes. of cases. Yeah. And, and, oh, that, and you're right, that would absolutely be good news because it would certainly reduce the, in, um, the infection mort- fatality yeah, rate. But equally, mm-hmm. equally, it might give us a little bit more freedom in the coming months because, as I said, whatever we do from the perspective of, of easing restrictions, it'll have to be done in, in a phased manner, and sort of stepwise and very controlled because we need to, we, can't, we know that this virus is given the right situation and the right circumstances can can spread, unfortunately, like wildfire. So we, do, we really need to be very okay. cautious in what we do. In relation to, we mentioned two more things here. Well, firstly, education. The suggestion this morning is that we may go back to, you know, having kids in school uh, from May the 5th, maybe one day a week or a half a day a week. Are these all things that we're currently looking at at the moment? And when we say one day a week or half a day a week, is that because Irish schools per se would have more pupils per class? So um, obviously schools will, will be looked at and you're right because physical distancing will still be required. So we need to look at what is feasible um, for any sector really, but obviously in the context of education, I suppose the priority for us um, in the education centre might be the might be sixth years who are um, looking at potentially at the leading cert over the coming months and obviously NEFIT will make that decision, but the Department of Education will. But if there's something that we can do to facilitate that, but equally, we yes, we won't be sort of seeing schools op- opening fully purely because the physical distancing won't be possible in that situation. So as I said, the key priority for whatever we do is that it will have to be done in a in a safe fashion that can minimise the transmission of the virus um, as okay. we do lift restrictions. Okay, in relation to Simon Harris's comments this morning, which have been, by some members of the Vintners Association, have been classed as reckless, uh, his comments this morning that we won't be going to open pubs again until we have a vaccine or a vaccine becomes available. Um, A lot of the Vintners have come out this morning, and I heard some earlier on on the radio this morning, uh, saying that these comments were reckless and that it's front page of the Daily Mail, actually, in the UK at the moment, uh, that Ireland's pubs and bars will be closed until the vaccine becomes available. They've they've quoted Simon Harris. Uh, That's not really a good thing to be putting out there because there's a lot of, I suppose, pubs and clubs and bars and restaurants. Uh, they're looking at losing their business if indeed it goes on that long. They believe they can survive possibly till the end of the summer. Uh, do, you, do you envisage that being the case, that we won't be able to have those uh, groupings of people together uh, at all until uh, at least the end of the year? That, that, that's a really good question, Niall. And unfortunately, I don't have an answer for you. Um, I think it's 
would obviously be very challenging given what we currently know to I suppose, reopen pubs in, in the short term with, and to maintain physical distancing. But what it does feed back into is the studies that we talked about and the ones that you alluded to yourself from, from the States over the weekend. If we get to a situation whereby we can do these studies and we see what level of the population has been exposed to the virus, then we'll be in a much better position. But at this point in time, I certainly wouldn't be oh, no. trying so, to oh, predict. So what predict you're saying anything. essentially is if we believe we may have some level of herd immunity, and I suppose that comes down to my next question, then at what point will we be able to test everybody? Is there any sign of, because in the early days there, going back about three weeks ago, there was loads of suggestions of new tests being available that would work in 10 or 15 minutes. Now, I don't know how accurate these particular tests happen to be, whether they test for just antibodies or the virus itself. Is there a possibility that these tests will become available and we can test the population? So in that way, we all know, well, if I don't have it, it's best I don't go out. Whereas if I do have it, sure, I can have a bit of a free-for-all and I can go out to the pub. Uh, is that a possibility those tests will come online soon? And uh, So there's two, two particular uh, pieces to that question. The first one, so yes, we are seeing more um, rapid tests coming onto the market. So they were, we always knew they, those would come in sort of mid-April and, and they would be, the, now there's still the, the PCR, the molecular tests, they're looking for the virus itself. And we would see those and we would expect those to be used in, in maybe in hospitals, sort of smaller hospitals that don't have very high numbers or um, in emergency departments where people can, where hospitals can use them to prioritise people or not necessarily prioritise, but just to divide them into people who are known to be infected and people who are known not to be infected. From the point of view of the antibody testing, that's the study that was the, that's what they would have used in the study in the States. Mm-hmm. And that's what we would hope to do. So if we don't. We don't envisage necessarily having to test the whole population. What we did, what we would plan to do, is test a proportion of the population that would be representative, if you like. So, from the point of view of, of age a sample and size, gender yes. match, exactly the sample size, and we might do that in a number of different regions uh, around the country to to get a, a sort of a geographic distribution as well. But as I said, that should happen within the next one to two months. Those assays are becoming available. We don't. We need to be cautious, I suppose, from at an individual level from interpreting the, the, the finger prick tests because, as you said yourself, they, they lack the same level of accuracy and sensitivity as the molecular tests. 85, 85% doing. I think was the accuracy I heard on some of the, the better yeah, ones. And, and that's and likewise, I've, I've heard something similar. So that's sort of not really where we want to be from the point of view of giving, giving individual advice because you're going to miss a, an awful lot of cases. So okay. we still we still need, we still, enough, there's still an awful lot that we need to learn about, about the immunity to um, SARS-CoV-2 and what, how long the antibodies, are, first of all, last, and whether they do provide genuine and And that, that's, that's my next question. I mean, uh, Tony Hoonan even suggested on the Late Late Show the other night in relation to, you know, people who have already had it, or we suggest there's antibodies in them, that indeed that they would know that they can't get it again. Is that a definite... I mean, I've heard mixed reports around the world in relation to that, but yet I, we see no evidence that people are getting it a second time, with the exception of one woman, I believe, in Japan, who they believe just she didn't clear from it in the first place. So is the suggestion there, or is it definite? yet that you can't get it a second time so then so no it's you're you're right it's not it's certainly not definite yet that you can't get it again and um, we would expect based on i suppose our experience with other viral infections and, and other uh, sort of even bacterial infections we would assume that when people recover that their immune system has kicked in to an extent so there should be some level of protection there that because that's what happens with everything else but specifically for SARS-CoV-2 we are still learning what we don't know is how long that's um protection lasts. And the other question is, you know, again, people will have heard discussion about the number of people or the proportion of people who may have infection and, and don't develop symptoms. So the other question we need to try and answer is, if you have a mild illness, do you develop, is your immune response as 
significant or as robust or as durable as it would be, say, if you had a more serious illness and you needed to go into hospital. And they're the sort of questions that we need Mm -hmm. to try and tease out before we can give people um, significant recommendations around the area of immunity. There's a huge amount of work going on in in this Uh, space, but uh, we're not there yet. Okay, final question. The masks have become a big bone of contention, um, Killian. Um, You know, many countries around the world reducing restrictions, but saying they want people to wear masks when they're going out, whether you have it or don't have it. Uh, Whereas here in Ireland, the suggestion has been don't wear a mask unless you have it of course and don't want to spread it on that wearing a mask can cause more problems because you're putting your hands to your face on a regular basis so should we wear the masks or shouldn't we? No so at this point in time what we're trying to do is is focus on masks in those areas that you've mentioned so for people who have symptoms to prevent them transmitting the virus to others and also for people who for healthcare workers and efforts who are looking after people who are infected the general wearing of masks by people who, who don't have any symptoms uh, at this point, we're not recommending that. Now, we are keeping the guidance under review and on an ongoing basis because this is still a relatively new infection and we're still learning about it. But I suppose what we've got to try and take into account, first of all, is, is, the, is the benefit of people wearing masks across the board and equally the potential harms that that may bring with it. And as you said, when healthcare settings, healthcare workers are very experienced in wearing masks so they can do it properly. Where, and they don't necessarily increase their own risks. But for people who aren't used to wearing masks, and obviously we can show people how to wear them, but we do know that people who aren't used to wearing them often will, as you said, will be touching I did, I did them see a, a woman in the supermarket the other day and she had the mask up around her eyes because she was on the phone to somebody. So I, and I and that's, a really, but that's a really good point, Niall, because the thing is, every time you touch your face or you answer the phone or you eat, then you need to change your mask. And, I, and that's the thing that we need to be careful about. So as I said, there's certainly some um, theoretical evidence that there might be a benefit if they're, if they're completely worn um, properly Properly, all of the time. But as I said, we do see, and it's human nature, this isn't the criticism of people, it's just an observation. We just need to be careful that people don't see a mask as a... As a, as a sort of barrier, yeah. yes. Or, yes, you become Superman when you wear a mask because that's exactly. not the case at all. Exactly. Well, listen, thank you very much indeed, Dr. Killian no problem, Gaskin, no. who's the uh, Thanks a lot. Thanks. Sure. Uh, the chair of the National Public Health Emergency Advisory Group. Uh, basically, what Killian is saying, March the 5th is a good date to look forward to. Things will happen. Restrictions will probably loosen a little bit. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.